Hey doggy people, welcome back to the Barkside on the Moon podcast. In today's episode, myself and Anne have a conversation about quote-unquote dangerous dogs, as there has been a lot of talk about them recently. We speak constructively about the current state of the legislation here in Ireland, whether some breeds of dogs are more dangerous than others, whether these dogs' owners are to blame, but most importantly, what we can all do to improve safety. Please note that this episode contains depictions of violence that some people may find triggering or disturbing. We reference a recent incident involving a dog seriously injuring a child. If you wish to avoid this content, please do not listen to this episode. Hello again. Hello. Welcome back. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Yes. Um. <laughs> as always. <laughs> yeah, as always. And um Look, we, we'd been doing um, different topics more recently, um, specifically to do with puppies. But uh-huh. today, here to talk about something um, a little or a lot different um, than that. Um, there's There's been a lot of talk lately around so-called, quote-unquote, dangerous dogs. Um, right. So I guess we felt we should try and have a constructive chat about that. Yeah, let's do it. Well, I think, you know, I think this warrants a really careful kind of covering this. There was a recent really, you know, awful traumatic incident where a dog seriously injured a young boy in Enniscorty. Mm. Um, and I'm really, really careful about talking about this publicly because I would never want to use something like that, this trauma that this child has suffered and is still, you know, experiencing and will experience. Mm. Um, I don't really want to ever use something like that as a platform to further any sort of cause or agenda. So I've been very, very slow to comment on anything publicly. Publicly, mm. even though I've been approached and asked and all of these sorts of things, um, you know, it would be completely inappropriate, I feel, to attempt to advocate for dogs in the wake of something as serious as this. Yeah. But at the same time, um, you know, sensible and constructive information is important. So, you know, that we can kind of battle against some of the sensationalism. Um, and in my mind, it's important, you know, so that we can start to put measures in place to prevent this from happening again um, and, you know, steering it away from sensationalism to actual real risk assessment, I suppose, is is, is going to be very, very important. So in truth, I'm very conflicted about discussing this um, publicly. Mm. Uh, but And so, you know, I'm very conscious of wanting to do that sympathetically and objectively, so both at the same time, <laughs> <laughs> which is difficult to do at the same time, you know, but really the emphasis being on keeping it constructive. So what can we actually do? What's the state of play and where do we want to go mm. um we're not going to be able to or certainly i can't comment on any of the most recent stuff um because we don't have the details and investigations continue and it would be terribly irresponsible for me to uh, make any comments given that we just don't have that information that information doesn't exist uh, at this time yet, yeah. um no um so um you know we're going to steer clear of that other than me mentioning it now to get it kind of out of the way i suppose <laughs> <laughs> um, but other than that we're, we're we're not going to we're not going to comment on that directly i feel okay so usually when something like this happens uh-huh. often the first kind of call out i suppose is relating to um legislation so like yeah. you know what are the government doing about this right. um there's been lots of talk around legislation uh-huh. so what's the yes. current state if you can uh, of le- yeah. legislation here 
Sure. So we have to be careful because legislation stuff isn't exactly riveting or exciting or anything <laughs> no, like that. No. It's pretty dry. Stick with us. Stick with us yeah, 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 exactly. We'll get to some good stuff at some point. Mm. We'll talk about dogs again at some point. <laughs> um, so, you know, Ireland has a large statute book um, and we have lots of legislation that relates to dogs. We have dog control legislation. We have animal welfare legislation. We have dog breeding legislation. We have microchipping legislation and on and on and on and on mm-hmm. and on. And these have been enacted by different departments. They're enforced at different levels so some of them are some of these you know instruments are enforced at local level by local authorities some at state level etc um you know so the one of the things that's come out from this discussion is and the only other place i've commented on this publicly is is contributing to an irish times op-ed with the journalist carlin uh, lillington um and uh you know through an foi um um kind of request she's found that really the enforcement of existing legislation is you know woefully inadequate Mm -hmm. the authorities charged with this enforcement are under resourced evidently um are not supported so i mean whatever legislation exists it's only as good as the enforcement it's only as good as the accountability that it will bring about and a lot of this legislation is is really inadequate in 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 those respects Mm -hmm. um as is demonstrated there uh from uh from carlin's article there was public consultation on um, dog control legislation in Ireland there before the pandemic and all of the submissions or a lot of the submissions are the ones that are publicly available are available on the department website but nothing has moved forward now I have no doubt that with Brexit and Covid mm. everything else was kind of shelved yeah. so I'm not really blaming anybody no, <laughs> um, it's a long time you ago know, but well, you know, we're still we're still in the midst of recovering, and I'm sure war and all of the you know recession and f- inflation and everything else is kind of keeping everybody else busy, yeah. and all of those things. But at the same time, public consultation was done. Mm-hmm. The stuff is available, um, so you know we need to be kind of moving um, with that, and we need to at least be looking at it or acknowledging it in in uh, in some way. So the main kind of instrument of enforcement in dog control legislation in Ireland is is referred to as effectual control. So dogs must be under effectual control. And, and this really is difficult to enforce because it's very difficult to define. What does that actually mean? Mm-hmm. And it's interpreted differently up and down the land mm-hmm. in, in the judicial system. So, I mean, that's a, that's a big gap in what we have here. Um, you know, but really what we need is we need better pet owner education, improved enforcement and more accountability for pet owners, which is what I'm calling for. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's likely to be the, the you know the thing that's going to to improve safety all around. Yeah, of course. You know the 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 the, uh, the the only problem with this is is that if you start to suggest these changes or start to change start to suggest that we look at legislation is is that people start to say things like oh well you know the irresponsible people still won't listen to legislation. The thing here is is that legislation can't completely eliminate the, eliminate the risks associated with living with dogs. And mm. um, the way we live with dogs and these are animals with mouths. So if you know, mm. people say things like oh does this dog bite and I'm like well if this animal has a mouth that animal bites. <laughs> I mean that's what mouths developed mm-hmm. for so the way we live with dogs th- these animals with mouths means that it's just not possible to zero those risks of bites or injuries to humans I and mean, it's not possible it's not it's not a realistic goal for us to, to attempt to achieve um, but certainly there are things that we can do to improve the certain the, the, the current state of, of 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 how things are and you know one of the, the 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 instruments of legislation that we have here is bsl or breed specific legislation mm-hmm. and this is legislation that 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 um, 
lists or identifies particular types of dogs, depending on how they're defined, um, and uh, suggests that those dogs are particularly likely to be of danger to humans and there are specific restrictions in relation to them. In some jurisdictions, that means those dogs are banned. So, for example, in the UK, under under DDA and Type 1 legislation, um, there are banning of certain types of dogs. Um, And here, that uh, features as a restricted breeds list. So what this is is a list of, of of dogs that uh, must be on lead and muzzled in public and have various other restrictions associated with them. And generally what happens is, is that in this sort of legislation, um, uh, the underlying kind of principle is, is that we will identify dogs usually via phenotypical characteristics. So this means external characteristics mm-hmm. um, and th- that that's used as a criteria or that those are used, those characteristics are used as criteria for how likely these dogs are to cause serious injury to humans. Mm-hmm. And this is a terribly flawed way of doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and there really is no evidence to suggest that BSL improves safety. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, we need better legislation and we need better um, community programs and community community participation in order to improve this uh, and to improve safety and to improve welfare those two things go hand in hand and I think that's something that's easy to forget is that we're talking about improving welfare as well um, for dogs and safety for people at the same time Um, and so certainly an overview of the current dog control legislation is welcomed to modernise it and update it and look at what works and what doesn't work Um, and and move forward with something that's more effective, more efficient, and then resource the people who are charged with enforcing it, um, yeah. and you know to improve pet owner accountability. I mean, that's what has to happen. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, <laughs> just that, <laughs> just that. Yeah, that, that tiny little job. <laughs> okay, so are certain dogs then more dangerous than others? Are? So I think this is a loaded question. I think this is a, a difficult question to, to answer. Um, certainly by the criteria that are usually used to identify so-called dangerous dogs, that's probably not going to help us. Mm. Um, and the reason for that is, is that first of all, all behavior is contextual. Yeah. So we need to move away from concentrating on like the first question that people will ask in relation to these incidents the first thing that's reported and that's noted very very early on in these reports is is that breed isn't known at this time mm. and you know behavior is contextual so breed really is not the most important factor that we need to know about no. uh, we mm. need to know about the context the conditions under which this this stuff happens and the, the problem for us is is that all dogs will show some level of aggressive aggressive responding at some level of stimulation so it's possible to get every dog to show aggressive responding aggressive behavior is normal uh, dog behavior and the really the statistics show that it tends to be the mo- the more popular large breed dogs are probably are more likely to uh, be involved in biting in- incidents that cause injury mm. but at the same time this is skewed because uh, those dogs are more likely to be reported yeah. injuries from those dogs are more likely to be reported and because there's more of them mm-hmm. um, they're more likely to, to, to be dogs that are represented and of course it makes sense that for the most part large dogs are probably going to be uh, inflicting more damage than a smaller dog yeah. would be and that that bite is probably going to be more likely to um, receive medical attention and therefore be reported in some way yeah. um, or adapt to be collected on it in some way and the problem is is that if we just look at the breed elements or the type of dog elements is that that really doesn't produce very 
usable data because we don't know how many dogs there are. We don't know how many of different breeds there are. And uh, we don't have reliable data on that for various reasons. Some of that related to legislation uh, here in Ireland and the way that, that works. Um, and, you know, we, we don't know how many bites there are because we don't really have uh, some sort of mandatory way of reporting that or, or, or seeking that information. So we don't, you know, the data just really isn't there um, and and it's very difficult to validate um, even in places where bite reporting happens a little bit more it's still really difficult to discern um, for various reasons so the standard of work isn't wonderful um, but certainly it would seem that you know it would make sense I suppose that larger dogs are going to be capable of inflicting greater injuries or more serious injuries but we're really only just beginning to explore kind of me- a meaningful understanding of canine behavioural genetics mm. um, and the pre- preliminary work that exists so far um, appears to suggest that behavioural tendencies are more connected to related, closely related dogs and to individuals. So that, you know, using breed as a, as a way of predicting um, behavioural tendencies is not terribly reliable. And certainly mm. while it can be a starting point mm. uh, for some modal action patterns, uh, so some motor behaviour, some behaviours that we see, um, it's probably not terribly reliable, um, you know, when we actually look at it very closely. And, and mm. a lot of that's because modern breeds, as we know them, are kind of constructs, yeah. right? We've kind of invented these things and they change all the time. They change with fashions. Um, the interpretation of breed standards changes. So we start to see different features being selected for and against um, in these dogs. So it can be difficult even to assess what a breed is over time and um, to look mm. at pictures, you know, or, or data from uh, from 20 years ago, 30 years ago. It might be, we might be talking about very different dogs today. Um, but there probably are connections between kind of lineages that are evident at a genetic level, at a molecular level, that show that there's connections between dogs that have been developed for similar roles. Mm-hmm. Um, now, even in that and the little bit of work that we were looking at that, and there's been so, some stuff this year and some stuff last year that's looked particularly closely at this. Um, even within that, there are so many exceptions. There's so many complexities. And of course, this is often you know, relating to behavior research because yeah. it really does become a study of one. You know, it's very, yeah. very difficult um, to, to kind of get anything kind of nailed down. Wouldn't it be lovely if everything was kind of in a box we oh, like yeah. that? And, uh, and, um, um, and that's not the case. And of course, then selection pressures are relaxed when dogs aren't working. So if dogs aren't destined to do a particular job, mm. the same selective pressures aren't there. Yeah. So that means that essentially what happens is, is that we're, se- we're no longer really selecting for those typical breed characteristics or we're selecting against them possibly even actively against them and so there's going to be a ton of wide variations you know across uh, uh, members of a breed so the you know really the, the what we what we kind of understand right now is is that you know the kind of behavioral tendencies of more closely related individuals are probably more helpful mm-hmm. um but we also have to accept that behavior is so affected by environmental factors mm-hmm. um and those environmental factors are present and active from conception yeah so um you know this makes predictions about that individual really not very clear or straightforward at all and of course this, this kind of fallback on this idea of temperament or mm. what's really become personality so we, we've got a, quite a lot of looking at, at personality in dogs right now particularly in relation to welfare um, and that's quite interesting but generally speaking these kind of measures of temperament to temperament tests temperament evaluations these sorts of things they're pretty poorly validated mm. uh, and they're probably not um 
terribly useful either, unfortunately. Mm. So we don't really have the answers for this mm. right now. Uh, but certainly having an awareness, having a better awareness of canine behavior would be beneficial. But in general, um, you know, canine aggressive behavior is poorly understood um, and people are not great at recognizing canine behavior. So mm. we have this problem where people will say, oh, this dog bit with absolutely no provocation mm-hmm. there. You know, this dog bit out of the blue. And that's rare. Mm. Um, it's it's more likely that um, over time, this dog's uh, warning or threat related behavior has been ignored. So isn't valuable or isn't useful um, or that people aren't seeing it. And that's that's pretty much the most common um, situation that I see in working with a lot of dogs and a lot of dog bites. Yeah. Um, that, yeah you, and you've probably seen it too. Yeah. You're probably pretty, um, you, you understand that too, mm. I guess. Yeah, yeah, of course. And yeah. and not just in relation to aggressive behavior, right? So no. all of the, all of the behavior. All of, all of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, like yeah. to give people an understanding, like for a dog to bite, uh, like when you hear it all the time, like, yeah, he was fine all of a sudden and all, all of a sudden mm. then he wasn't. Oh, so he jumped up. So yeah. like to, to explain it to, to everybody, like that is, is, is so rare. And why is it so rare? Like why would a dog be okay one second and not the, not the next so again, we, we don't have a lot of this information, but the mm. thing is, is that biting is normal social behavior for dogs yeah. and they use it as a normal part of their social repertoire. So uh, whereas dogs have have kind of evolved to bite, um, humans have kind of evolved to hit and kick. That's kind of what we do mm. or our version of that. Now we bite as well. We're animals with mouths, so mm-hmm. we do bite as well. But our, our go-to is often hitting and kicking yeah. um, and, you know, a weaponry uh, outside of that. But, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of natural weaponry that we have kind of attached to yeah. us, uh, it's it's generally that. And, and dogs tend to go with, um, with biting. But biting is such a small part of... Um, the aggressive kind of uh, sequence of behaviors that dogs will show. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, social aggression is very well controlled in animals Mm. because if you put yourself out there to aggress and be demonstrative and, and, you know, kind of show off a little bit, well, then you're kind of making yourself vulnerable to attack. Mm -hmm. And also aggressive responding is incredibly uh, energy inefficient, you know, Mm -hmm. so not only is there a big risk of injury, but there's a loss in terms of, of the energy that you put in Mm. now at the same time. And this is, you know, this is why, We can't have just a straightforward black and white conversation about this because we also have to understand that we've selected for and against different traits for in 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 certain breeds Mm -hmm. of dogs that will make them more or less tolerant of particular social situations, for example, or Mm -hmm. more competitive um, or more likely to experience kind of peaks in in kind of stress responding Mm -hmm. and things like that. And where that's happened and that selection has happened intentionally and unintentionally. So there's an issue there as well. Um, So we have to remember that all of these these kind of thing these factors are interacting this is multifactorial mm. it's not as easy to say okay well that dog looks this way that means that dog is going to be more dangerous than this other dog that looks in a slightly different way yeah. um and they are dogs first before they're anything else they're yeah. dogs first so the basic plan is there and then we've augmented that on top of that and you know the understanding of aggressive responding is is poorly understood mm-hmm. so it's not just if the dog aggresses yeah. and even what a person one person would say is aggressive responding what another person might say it is for the most part in my experience with clients the first signs of discomfort they notice in their dog is growling yeah 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 
And I will explain to them, well, growling, you know, if you can imagine zero is, you know, hugely pro-social friendly, happy dog. Mm. Ten is delivering injurious bites. Growling is about a seven on mm. that scale. The dog has been signaling their discomfort for a long time mm. before they get to growling, mm. um, even though it's the, the first thing that we tend to notice. And we tend to see a lot of growling and a lot of snarling. And most of the dogs that I work with that um, have a bite history, um, they were growling or showing behavior that. Um, pet owners retrospectively recognize because we talk of about course. it um was relevant um you know and often that behavior has been going on for years and mm-hmm. um, dogs are incredibly restrained uh with us right across the breeds and i work with a very very broad range of types of dogs mm-hmm. all of the popular breeds and then lots of uh more unusual ones as mm-hmm. well i'm for really lucky time. to have yeah, yeah i'm really lucky to have had that opportunity i'm really lucky to have been involved in in lots of different breeds for a very very long time for three decades mm-hmm. um and um and and that's given me a really good understanding of of how that works and and mm-hmm. and working with a lot of dogs and a lot of mixed breed dogs and dogs from totally unknown backgrounds you know forefather type dogs yeah. where you just have no idea what's been going on mm-hmm. um, and all of that kind of stuff you know and then dogs that have been really well planned you know their breeding has been really well planned we know everything about their family history and all that sort of stuff yeah. so right you know the whole gamut yeah. of of that kind of stuff and the thing is it's not just if the dog aggresses so a dog that does a lot of growling that does a lot of snarking that does a lot of snarling mm. that's a dog that that's potentially a lot safer than a dog that doesn't do a whole lot of warning oh, behavior that doesn't 100%. give a whole lot of demonstrative stuff mm. right um and how quickly they move up through those scales and the sorts of behavior that they show yeah. um in various different social situations and we're talking specifically about in relation to people here but we could be talking about social situations with other animals mm-hmm. with other dogs all sorts of other things so we really want to know about how quickly that dog moves through those kind of escalation of signals and mm-hmm. in, in social interactions with people what's the tendency there how quickly can they recover after you know precursor behaviors and things mm-hmm. like that and the really relevant thing is is what's happening in the environment yeah. when that goes on mm-hmm. and so what's happening in the environment then is going to include the human factor mm-hmm. because humans are the most influential environmental factor in the lives of dogs mm-hmm. we do everything on their behalf we choose and, and make decisions about everything about for them on their behalf mm-hmm. um and so how well humans are going to be able to respond appropriately to this behavior in that moment or over time for the years before is is going to be very very impactful um on what on what happens to us or happens to to, to people in with that dog yeah yeah of course okay right let's talk about the humans then um uh-huh. So you hear a lot, obviously, about bad owners. So Mm. are, quote unquote, bad owners to blame then? You know, I hate this. I hate this idea. And, (laughs) you know, when something like this happens, this is what I see everywhere in defense of dogs, that there are only bad owners and no bad dogs. And it's, you know, this isn't accurate, first of all. Mm. Nobody's bad, right? Behavior isn't bad, Mm. right? Um, And certainly dog behavior isn't good or bad. There's no moral association with it. Animals do behaviors that um, are appropriate to them in that situation. They do behaviors that work. Um, And, um, you know, to be accusing people or referring to people with dogs who show behavior that we have decided in society is unacceptable. Mm. I mean, it's arbitrary to dogs. 
Mm. You know, that growling is unacceptable. That's an arbitrary rule. Growling is as much a part of them as wagging their tail. Um, You know, and of course, wagging their tail isn't always associated with happiness either. So (laughs) that's important to important to note as well. But it's it's just as much part of them. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, for us, we've decided we've made some external decision. that This is bad, so-called bad behavior. And Mm. uh, that's just not true. Mm. And by, you know, blaming people um and by suggesting that people are you know being judged and being called bad owners if their dogs do these arbitrarily you know kind of unacceptable behaviors and this really does cause people to feel less likely to seek help be less likely to to be open to guidance so it shuts down channels of education which you know we're identifying as being something that's really important Mm -hmm. to to help that but at the same time we do need changes and we need changes to pet owner culture and this isn't just the owners of dogs that people feel are more dangerous than other dogs and we have to have the you know, the relevant conversation about the discrimination that people who own dogs that look a certain way and that those people face. And BSL has been shown in many jurisdictions, including in the UK, which is what our legislation is based on, um, um, is associated with discrimination against people. Um, And this, you know, impacts many people's views, including people in the animal care industry. And then that has massive impacts on welfare and has massive impacts on how we move forward in terms of education and supporting people um, who want to own um, various dogs. Mm. Uh, This isn't it's none of anybody else's freaking business, actually. Um, And instead, can't we can't we support them and make sure that everybody's uh, needs are, you know, everybody's got skills and knowledge about meeting the needs of their dogs. But. You know, this even the concept of so-called responsible ownership is so poorly understood. The vast majority of people believe that that relates to picking up poop. Yeah. And we know that that's not happening <laughs> because, I mean, there is dog shit everywhere. And not only that, but bags of dog poo everywhere, mm. uh, which is something that I see so often. Um, and it freaks me out. It really annoys me because this is the stuff that's going to get us banned from places. And yeah. rightfully so. Mm. Why would this be allowed? And and uh, it's very, very regular that I regularly that I will I'm out and about all the time and I'm watching I'm judge, secretly judging pet owners but I'm <laughs> watching them not pick up their dog's poop but also allowing their dog to be a nuisance to other dogs to other people to wildlife to livestock and mm. I mean none of that is going to be improved um, by intensifying BSL or by um, adding more breeds or, or more no. restrictions no. Um, you know what we actually need is we need people to develop a kind of a broader understanding Mm. of every stage of dog ownership from choosing where to get an appropriate dog Mm -hmm. and what type of dog to get and a dog that suits your needs or a a size that suits your needs an energy level that suits your needs all of those sorts of things bearing in mind what we've just said that breed isn't completely predictive Mm. so we can't just use breed solely um alone as a way of deciding what's the best dog to get uh, so many other factors are going to contribute to how suitable that dog is um, and like I said before it's certainly a starting point but we actually have to look at it in a more nuanced fashion mm. um, and then helping owners meet those dogs needs so yeah. The dog's behavior is only as acceptable or as unacceptable as the environment it's put into mm-hmm. so if you put inappropriate behavior behavior you find unacceptable into an environment where that behavior is going to cause problems for people it's going to cause safety issues for people it's going to cause welfare issues for dogs that's the problem Mm. 
so this is a husbandry issue mm-hmm. um, rather than a than a, a, a breed issue, yeah. I suppose, um, you know, and making sure that pet owners, that we start to change pet owning um, culture. It's not acceptable for your dog to uh, cause a nuisance to anybody else, to run up to, to people unsolicited, to run up to other dogs unsolicited. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we had two very, very serious um, sheep attack incidents um, just this week where over 70, uh, lamb, or 70 sheep were killed. And mm-hmm. I mean... You know, I dread coming into lambing season, which we're mm. coming into now every year because the impacts of this are so great. Mm. And um, the regular regularity with which, you know, farmers report these attacks, devastating attacks, and these poor animals die in the most horrific manner um, mm. because people allow their dogs to be a nuisance. They allow their dogs to um, to roam. They allow their dogs to be out of sight, to not be under effectual control, um, all of these things. And uh, and it's absolutely unacceptable. And again, it's, it's tarring us all with the same mm. brush. But I feel that we are all responsible because we have to start calling it out and we have to take some of the accountability mm. um, as, as pet owners, as dog owners, yeah. um, that if we want our dogs to be in society and be part of society and be you know we talk about them being part of our family well then you need to actually start doing stuff that makes sure that they can safely do that yeah they can safely participate so you know these cultural changes are not going to come about because of legislation or certainly because of legislation alone Mm. pet owners have a tendency to be reactive so there's very low uptake for example i mean we talk about this all the time there's very low uptake particularly for preventative type training services yeah and there's even lower uptake across the board. Like this is across the world. This isn't just in Ireland. This is across the industry. There's even lower uptake for, you know, relating to services that uh, look after baby prep mm-hmm. and child dog interactions. And how often do you see adoption ads where dogs have become unwanted because of child issues or child interaction issues or mm-hmm. baby has arrived or all of these sorts of things. And I'm not saying all of those would be absolutely sorted with with some preventative work, but a lot of them would. Yeah. And we would absolutely be in a better situation if um, we could uh, we could get in there into those into those homes and talk to people before they have their babies and um, before their their children and and dogs are interacting with one another yeah. for example and get some education going there and some awareness there um, you know so I think it's 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 really important that and actually centering our efforts or beliefs on that there are certain so-called dogs so-called dangerous dogs so whatever the dangerous dog du jour is Mm. we miss those nuances so people assume that certain types of dogs are going to be safe um, and baby proof and and all of these sorts of things and child friendly and all of these sorts of terms are used and I mean they they you know there's description descriptive words such as nanny dogs used in relation to somebody's dog which is a total myth Mm. Um, and um, as somebody who owns a type of dog that's related uh, to that description um, I mean you know it's an absolutely complete myth and this Mm. puts um dogs at risk and it puts children at risk um you know so this stuff when we're concentrating on the wrong things it's a red herring effectively um so it's most crucially it's not helping us improve safety because um it you know behavior is so much more nuanced than that so much more complex um and actually that's what we need to work on disseminating how can we get that information to to people how can we prevent this stuff ever becoming a problem how can we raise people's awareness um you know and uh, and and help them become better 
at, at evaluating the context in which they put their dogs so that we have a better understanding of the behavior that we'll see. Um, and I think that's really, really important to understand. So when we concentrate on breeds and we say, well, this breed is dangerous versus this breed, um, we're, we're, you know, we're targeting perfectly safe individuals mm. while at the same t- time missing less safe individuals, mm. so individuals that might yeah. be posing more um, of a risk. But really, the important thing is that we're taking the attention away from where it really needs to go. And that's the, the conditions under which behavior happens. So having an understanding of how, you know, what are we seeing? What sort of environments are going to work for that behavior? What sort of environments are not going to work for that yeah. behavior? Um, and and I, that's crucially missed when we take a very, very kind of narrow um you know, black and white view of of dangerous or not dangerous. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could categorize categorize things yeah, like that? Yeah. Uh, it would be so much easier, but unfortunately, it's it's not no, <laughs> at all. No, no. Okay. Um, so then, what can we do to improve safety? So I think that's the first thing that we have to do is that we have to look at this as a kind of a multifactorial um, issue. Um, and, and and that helps us then to sort of look beyond this kind of blinding um, that's relating to, to, to breed concerns um, and start to get community wide participation in all of this. Mm. Um, you know, it's important to, to note, first of all, that dog re- serious dog related injuries are rare. Mm-hmm. Okay, relative to the number of dogs, relative to how we live with them. And I'm very cautious in saying that because I do not want to relegate the impacts of this on people who are injured or scared by dogs at all. That's not what I'm at all saying. But at population level, Mm. this is relatively rare. Mm -hmm. And that actually presents a problem in terms of us identifying risk factors because these situations are rare we often lose a lot of, we've lost a lot of the information about these. The other thing we have to remember that happens is in the vast majority of these cases, dogs who cause serious injury to people are usually destroyed really quickly. Yes. And what that means is that the behavioral evidence is gone. Yeah. We've lost that. So we have even less understanding of um, the situation, uh, you know, in which this, uh, this has all occurred. Mm. We don't have a good, the dog isn't available to assess behaviorally um, and possibly, Possibly isn't even available to assess medically, you know, medically, physically, uh, although that's sometimes done some, um, if, if there's a f- fatality uh, caused by dog injuries. Um, the, the dog will usually be uh, necropsied, but not always, but usually. Um, okay. But but we lose um, we lose the behavioral data in relation to that. And of course, um, the individual. The, the victim may not have the wherewithal to actually describe the situation or mm. sometimes they're a child, sometimes yeah, they're a vulnerable yeah. person. That, you know, mm. they, they, they wouldn't have that information. They're so traumatized yeah, by it, of God. course. You know, we don't really want them reliving that. No. Um, you know, so they're not only are these incidents rare, but then we also don't have a lot of information surrounding them. Mm. Um, and so, so that's really difficult when it comes to collecting meaningful data and identifying risk factors. Mm. So there, there's one work for, for set of works that, from about 2013 uh, from Patrick et al. And that looked at just over 250 dog bite related fatalities across a decade, across mm-hmm. 10 years. I think it was 2000 until 2009 or, or something similar to that. And they were able to identify prominent risk factors from that. And uh, they found that in over 80% of these dog bite 
uh, related fatalities uh, for at least four of those risk factors that they listed were were present um mm. and you know they include things like you know there's a vulnerable victim so it might be an older person it might be a child a child, yeah. you know yeah that kind of thing um uh, the dog was often a kind of a more resident dog rather than a companion dog so the dog might have been kept outside oh, yeah. they might have been chained or in a pen or they kept as guard dogs or those sorts of things um there was often evidence of previous kind of mismanagement of the dog so the husbandry conditions in which the dog um was living and mm. was kept and was trained and was handled um and often there was you know a history of kind of abuse or neglect yeah. uh for, for that animal um and you know there's several others and, and we can provide the the the, the um the reference to that if people want to look it up uh, but what was interesting was that really valid breed identification could only be made in in you know in under 20 percent of these cases and that's a very valid thing to understand Mm -hmm. is that breed identification is is pretty flawed Mm -hmm. um unless we know we know about that that individual dog and there are so many mixes and so many um you know varieties of breeds and breeds change over generations and and people will have a bias towards identifying dogs that are involved in a in a dangerous incident Mm -hmm. or in a injurious incident and they might be more likely to say it's this type of dog versus is this other type of dog but that just doesn't give us valid information and again this is a cultural bias that we've developed because of sensational sensationalization in media surrounding these sorts of things when really what we should be looking at is how can we improve the husbandry here mm. improved husbandry is a predictive factor um and we have to start admitting that mm. you know that we have to start looking at that well what are the conditions under which this this animal has been has been kept what sort of positive or appropriate interactions has this dog been having with humans and that goes way back mm. right back to the beginning of their their life there is this isn't so you know this isn't all you know um what, what's happened to this dog this year this could yeah. be you know what, where this puppy was reared yeah. right yeah so like where that puppy spent that first four months of of their life mm. um and the thing is is that we're not discounting genetics and i'm not suggesting that it's all in how they're raised mm. that's not a at all what I'm um, I'm suggesting and, and, and because it's blatantly inaccurate mm-hmm. um, but what I am saying is that if we put this genetic soup into this environment mm-hmm. well these are the things that can happen and it's a combination that we can't separate them out mm-hmm. this is a combination of this it's a, it's a, it's a complex thing it's mm-hmm. really really difficult to discern clear risk factors um, but we can look at environmental conditions and they are um, often um, powerfully consistent um, in relation to, to, to most of these situations and again because they're rare it's definitely harder to to pick up patterns right mm-hmm. so so you know a population level so that make this that you know does absolutely make that um more difficult i suppose mm-hmm. so you know really the instruments of of breed specific legislation don't ap- appear to improve safety mm-hmm. um but we should start to be looking at risk assessments um you know we should start to be looking at better dog bite and dog behavior awareness mm-hmm. particularly in relation to children mm-hmm. um and you know we we have to look at providing better overall better behavior related education uh, so dogs have their needs met and they're met appropriately mm-hmm. And to allow pet owner culture to kind of adapt 
um, and adjust to the changing face of the world. We have to remember that the world has changed a lot over the last couple of decades and dogs have changed a lot over the last yeah. couple of decades and the expectations upon dogs are higher. The population is greater. Mm. There's been a, an increase in population of pet dogs as well. Mm. So, you know, a lot more people are keeping dogs in suburban and urban areas, mm. which are which makes it harder to meet their needs. Yeah. A lot of dogs are keeping dogs that, you know, don't necessarily suit those environments or suit the environment in which they're living in, um, who who show very, very serious or a range of very serious behaviors of mm. concern. So, you know, there's a there's been a lot of changes in the last couple of decades, and I think we have to adjust not just our legislation, but our pet owning culture um, at, at, at all of those levels. And while that might start with legislation, legislation is just such a tiny part of this yeah. that uh, that we, we, we need better resources to, to start to adjust and change pet owning culture. And it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's a long term job. This isn't something that we're going to fix this year no. or next year or well, this we have decade. To start, <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. And we, we have to start looking at it. We have to start collecting data. We have to start um, actually doing things and reviewing and using that feedback to direct where we're going. So that's what I say. It's as easy as that, Graham. That's, <laughs> that's what I would say. Um, but it's multifactorial, right? Yeah. yeah, no, it is. It nearly always is, but yeah, particularly something like this. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an, it's an, it's never easy, but like we just said, you you've got to start somewhere and mm-hmm. and 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 do it in in that way. Um, otherwise, we're always reacting, and it'll be right. The next thing, and that's and what the BSL is. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's a reaction to something, and of course, there's going to be a strong reaction. You know, when dogs behave aggressively there is a strong visceral reaction of course, for humans of course uh, we feel betrayed so-called mm. man's best friend yeah. we spend you know there is a huge movement particularly online to kind of increase the expectations of dog behavior and dogs can't possibly live up to that no. they can't possibly our expectations are so ridiculous of um of of, of companion dogs particularly but dogs in general um and they they live under that pressure all the time and it literally is life or death for them yeah like well like as humans, our world has changed in so so quickly, and yeah. as uh, and we are the ones changing it, and we can't keep up right. with, yes, with yes. that stuff. And Indeed. we're expecting our you know poor doggies to oh, to to, yeah. to come along, and it, it's just yes. so fast paced and moving for for everybody. Everybody notices yeah. it, but we're just kind of yeah. going yeah. along here, and it's it's yeah. just it's not fair uh, uh, to expect the dogs to keep up when we can't mm. ourselves. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's hard for everybody. Yeah. Um, and certainly dogs are expected to be our saviors and they're expected to comfort us and be great friends to us yeah, and ridiculous. always do this stuff it's for ridiculous. us, yeah. you know, but they just can't live. No. They can't stay on that pedestal. And there's such a drop and such a fall from grace mm. when they dare act like normal dogs. So yeah. our understanding of that is, you know, is poor. And at no point am I denying that, you know, there are breed tendencies that we should be aware of yeah. and, and, and all of those sorts of things. Um, and I don't feel that any of any dogs are benign, you know, mm. uh, they all require special care and some might require more. But we have to start looking at breed and beyond 
breed um, mm-hmm. and start looking at type, start looking at selective pressures that this type of dog, so the, the larger kind of genetic group um, has has, uh, has has been under um, and be looking at what are the sort of selective pressures that they're under right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that requires work and it requires assessment and it requires time to research it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it requires you know, the time that people would put into searching for a new car or, mm. you know, price comparing and, you know, researching the best place to get it and looking at its history and all of those things. Well, we probably need to start, you know, doing that for dogs too yeah. <laughs> um, mm. and, and start looking at, no, you know, what we, this... we have to. Yeah. Well, no, we do yeah. need to, sorry. I <laughs> yeah. know you're, you're correct. You're correct. And we, we, we need to look at, 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 at an individual dog's relations uh, we need yeah. to look at where that dog was reared what sort of conditions under which it was reared and you know if it was reared in a situation outside of that which it will be expected to live as an adult mm. look somewhere else mm. I'm sorry but but uh, you know if you want an animal to live in your house as a domesticated pet and it's reared like a farm animal there's go- there's possibly going to be some problems yeah, there definitely yeah. and we need to start looking at that yeah yeah closer <laughs> yeah well all of those things yeah everything and everything <laughs> yes, yeah this is yeah. this is definitely one like i i already want to go back and listen to this now again um so okay. everybody listening um, me ranting this no no it's not it's definitely not <laughs> i know ranting and that's not it no mm-hmm. no um so it's definitely one i think for um most people will have to to go back and listen to again uh, and again but i think there's lots to think about here and i think it's really important to have constructive conversations around mm-hmm. topics like this uh, rather than usual in it falling back on uh, sensationalism as it usually yeah. does um, mm-hmm. particularly on the lovely social media etc that's <laughs> yes, your favorite my oh, i bloody <laughs> love it yeah so <laughs> um yeah look uh, thanks as always but thanks so much again Thank for you. doing this um, yeah, this is like really important, I think. Yeah, um, and we, we, we can talk about it again. I'm sure there yeah. will be questions or observations or comments. From yeah, and please, everyone, you again, know how to sure. get in contact. So mm-hmm. any questions, please send them on. Um, yes, but let's have another chat again soon. Yes, please. look forward to us. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much, Anne. Okay, thank you. All right, talk to talk you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks again so much for listening today, guys. And as always, thank you so, so much for all the positive feedback and for your suggestions. If you enjoy the show, remember to please subscribe to the podcast, leave a rating and review and recommend it to your friends and family to help us reach and help more people and their dogs. Also, please give us a follow on Twitter at BarksidePod and also on Instagram at BarksidePod to help grow our online community. If there are topics you would like to hear us cover in future episodes, again, please share those with us on social media or simply mail us at barksidepod at gmail.com and we will do our very, very best to cover those in future episodes. Look after yourselves and your doggies. Thanks again for joining us and we look forward to seeing you here again real, real soon. Barksidepod.